Everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone, broadcasting live from Wasatch Front, Kia. That, of course, is Wasatch Front, Kia, 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 right here on Riverdale Road. The Kia store, 770 West Riverdale Road. Uh, It's their summer clearance event, and they've got great deals on all sorts of wonderful vehicles. Uh, Come on by and see them. Best customer service in the business world. They'll take great care of you. We're going to talk to uh, David Locke coming up here momentarily, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Uh, Media Day is next Monday, Gordon. We will be there. Very excited about that. And then uh, uh, training camp is underway after that. Yeah, it is here. Essentially here. So, yeah, it's another good reason for fans to be excited about sports right now. Now, we've had a chance to talk to uh, most of the, if not all, of the new players on the team this summer, Gordon, but uh, is there one player or another you're looking most forward to chatting with at Media Day? Uh, no, not really. No. I, I'll tell you the player that I'm most eager to watch play in relation to the other guys is Mike Conley. How and much this, different does he make it? Well, this is a guy that Jazz have had their eye on for a long, long time. And uh, it, what kind of difference can he make uh, with the guys who we are more familiar with and then the, all the other newcomers as well? Another guy I'm interested to see what his mindset is and how he can play is Dante Exum. Yeah, and how much – well, if he can get through a healthy season, that, yeah. would be, that would be so big for him. All right, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint is the network built for unlimited with great deals on great devices every single day. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend David Locke. Hi, David. Hi, guys. How are you? We're great, man. Uh, can you believe it? Media Day is Monday. That's amazing. It's so close. Yeah, I really stressed out today. I'm way behind. I'm not where I want to be. I'm really nervous. So, okay, there we go. Now that the play-by-play anxiety is out, now that you're aware of that, we can continue with the conversation. Well, wait a minute. That, that brings up an interesting question to me. Do you get nervous before a game, uh, David? Every game. Nothing better. I, I get nervous before every single game. And is that positive energy that uh, drives you forward? And uh, Well, I think it makes me prep. Right, I never am confident that I'm going to know enough going into a game, so I'm hoping that that's what leads to good preparation. Um, so that would be my that would be where I would hope it's uh, helpful. Um, I'm sure I over prep a little bit out of anxiety, but um, yeah, no, I get nervous and amped and fired up a little bit before every single game. David, I, I, an attendant question there. I I know that you uh, kind of root for the Jazz. Uh, you're a Jazz employee. What, what kind is your favorite? Would you rather call a game where the Jazz are are crushing an opponent, or would you rather call a game that is tight right down to the last possession, but the Jazz are in jeopardy of losing the game? Um two different emotions so the best game i've ever called in my life at least in my opinion was the oklahoma city game this year um i just happened to be good that night and that was that double overtime game right out of the all-star break um so we lost so that sucked 
Um, but it was def- from a broadcast standpoint, I think that's the best night I've ever had. I happened to then suck for the next two weeks after that, but that's a different story because I tried to recreate whatever happened that night and I couldn't do it because nothing happened. I just happened to call a good game and then I screwed with my head for the next week, two weeks. Um, so, you know, and then I sucked for a while. Um, you know, I'm pretty, at this point, I, I don't actually think I'm supposed to be unbiased. I think I'm supposed to be the conduit of a fan. I, I think I'm awfully close with numerous members of this coaching staff and care about them a great deal as people and their families and their wives and their kids and all those kind of things. And so, you know, I understand the work they're putting in and the energy. Um, and then I admire our players. I never try to think that I'm ever close to our players. I think that's a real misnomer, but I, you know, I've known them for a long time and I feel like I admire them and understand how hard Rudy works and who Donovan is as a person and what they're trying to accomplish. And so, you know, there's no question that I'm overly interested in them winning every night. And if we ever win a title, I will Larry H. Miller all over the place. <laughs> David, uh, in uh, the past few times we've had you on, you've you've broken down nicely how uh, in the past Coach Schneider has schemed around deficiencies offensively and done a really great job uh, doing it. So with some of those deficiencies addressed, how different do you think the offense is going to look this year and how? Well, I, do, I think it's a great question, Jake, and I, I, I'm really curious to watch training camp to see how, if they are at all different. I mean, on one level, the Jazz are one of the few teams in the league that between 4 and 7 in the shot clock are about as good as they are between 7 and 14 on the shot clock. There aren't, there aren't many teams in the league that actually do both of those things. So, you know, they, they get into their system and play advantage basketball, and it works. So why change it? But on the other end, they probably could, you know, take a few earlier. They have talent. You know, Boyan gets a lot of possessions in transition. Like, if he's not having as good a year as we expect, I, I, will, I would guess it's going to be because he's not getting the same transition opportunities he got. So how do you make sure he gets those? And so maybe you've got to let a little freedom go where these guys get early and they get a guy one-on-one and he just, you know, if Boyan has the wrong guy trying to defend him open floor and transition early in a possession, he's just going to beat him. Like He's just bigger and stronger and going to beat him and get to the basket and get an easy look. And if he can do that, then, you know, why are you – why, why run a whole set? So, you know, Mike Conley isn't, wasn't at least in Memphis a transition player. Will he be here? Can Donovan not having to handle as much get out a little more? Um, I think there's some tricks to, to how to leak out a little bit more than they have in the past, and we'll see if they do that. David, I know you're an analytics guy. Is there a stat that you're looking forward this year to, to tracking that you think is the most important of all for jazz success? So, yeah, I think the question about the jazz is, so the jazz had, there's a, it's a, it's a stat that they now keep, uh, in regards to whether or not, you know, an average player took the shot, right? So how open were you? Where's the shot on the floor? Um, And so it's the quality, it's it's quantified shot quality. Um, It's not generally open to the public, but it's out there. Uh, That stat, the Jazz led the league last year. Well, did they lead the league because it was Jay Crowder, Ricky Rubio, and Derek Favors, and nobody cared if they were open? Um, Or did they lead the league in that because Quinn Snyder is a basketball 
mastermind and that the Jazz run the best offense of any team in the NBA. Um, if you have an answer to that, I would be really curious to know what you think. Um, so with that said, which, you know, which was it? And um, if it is in fact that the Jazz offense creates that many opportunities for guys, and now you're moving from Jay Crowder, who shot, I think it was nine percentage points below what an average player would have done with the same shots, to Boyan Bogdanovich, who shot six percentage points better than the average player would have with the shots he got last year. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, so that would be one. And then the really simple, most obvious one is, are we still good defensively? Like, not good. Are we still great defensively? You know, is Rudy Gobert really Ben Wallace, Dikembe Mutombo, Hall of Fame level to the point in which we are still a top five defense all by himself? Because we used to be long and big and fearsome, and we are now small and little and talented. And then we've got the monster in the middle. And so, you know, it's not just losing Derek Favors. It's Ricky Rubio 6-4 to, to Mike Conley 6-1. Um, it's, you know, it's Favors to 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 Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, or Jeff Green starting there. Those are, those are very different sized players. Um, I am a believer in secondary rim defenders. There aren't a lot of them in the NBA, but we had one. And so when you can beat somebody, you know, you pull Rudy out and then beat him and a second guy comes over, that's pretty unique. We don't have that anymore. Um, and then I guess the second question is if, you know, you're playing Dallas and Rudy's on Chris Dapps and they've pulled him out and who's rebounding? So are we still a good defensive rebounding team? David Locke is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, David, a, a really important storyline from last year that emerged, and I don't know if it was talked about enough because I think it was it was super important, but Rudy Gobert turned into an offensive weapon. And I know we've seen that journey in uh, the pick and roll with the, the dunks, but, I mean, he, he was truly somebody that you had to game plan for uh, when you were putting together your defensive game plans because his offense was – uh, that uh, dominating at times with that with that pick and roll, and when you were talking about the FIBA World Cup, I heard you talking about Rudy and how France was willing to dump the ball down into him and let him go to work a little bit. Do you think that that's something that we will see at all with the Jazz and Rudy this year? So, I mean, there's two things. This one, if you have the internet in front of you, I wouldn't mind you reading something to me in a minute, and that would be if you didn't mind. Um, pulling up what ESPN wrote about Rudy, Tim McMahon, who does great work, wrote about Rudy in um, the NBA rankings. I want you. I want to read it to you. It made no sense to me. Um, I've so got it right there. here. If, I've got it right now if so, you want it. So, so we'll get to that in a second. The other aspect of Rudy, the negative thing, is outside three feet, he shot 31% last year and 29% the year before. So that when we're playing the Milwaukee Bucks and they drop Brooke Lopez all the way back to the rim and he just stands at the rim and there's always a player between Rudy and the rim, he has a terrible night. And so how can Rudy, he doesn't have to become a jump shooter, he's got to become feasible, 45% maybe is all, that if somebody puts a smaller guy or somebody's in between him and the basket and he's at four feet, can he become just enough that he makes one more field goal like that every few games. It doesn't have to be a lot. Just one of those. And not then be 45% instead of – he's not going to be 50%. Most of the league's not even 40%. 
but just not 31 or 29%. So that's the issue on Rudy's offense. Um, find a move. Find one move that you're going to use there. And, and if it's not there, then dish it out. It doesn't have to be a lot of, it doesn't have to be a great deal of sophistication. Now read me that passage because it made no sense to me. All right, here it is. Uh, Tim says, can Gobert add to his offensive game? The two-time defensive player of the year is a weapon in a limited offensive role, leading the league in screen assists, six per game, field goal percentage, uh, 66.9%, and dunks, 306 in 2018-19. He'll never be a go-to post-up threat, but it'd be a major plus if Gobert could reliably punish smaller defenders on switches, even when he doesn't get to the rim, as he did in France's win over Team USA at the FIBA World Cup. Okay, so Tim's like 99% right, and I'm just going to pick on him a little bit because he's a good friend and I like him. Like, 306 dunks. That's an offensive player. Like, I agree he can't post up, and I agree he's got to do what we just talked about, but 306 dunks is not a limited offensive player. It's the most of anyone in the NBA. We gave the guy with 297 the freaking MVP for doing it. Right? Giannis won the MVP for 290-some on dunks. Because he didn't have a jump shot either. So it's a, mis- it's a mystery to me that we still call the leading field goal percentage guy in the league um, a, a non-offensive player. I got, I got the limitations. But if everybody could dunk 300 times a season, they would, and they can't. 300! That's four a game. I like that, David. I like that observation. And if you, I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but if you're going to define an offensive player with uh, sort of these uh, mainstream ideas, then Carl Malone really wasn't all that much of an offensive player either because he used to be fed the ball in the low post over and over again. So uh, he did develop that, that jumper, but uh, it wasn't like he was. We did this to the most, the most dominating offensive player of that generation. We did the same thing to Shaq. Shaq's not really an offensive player. He can only dunk. All right, because he's so big and so strong and so mobile that you actually can't guard him, so he dunks. Because when you played Nerf Hoop against your little brother, what you did all the time was dunk, because that's what you could want to do in every single possession. I've said this a 100 million times, but if Mike D'Antoni and the Houston Rockets could dunk every possession, they wouldn't shoot a three. David, uh, will you explain to our listeners, those who are casual basketball fans but don't know the the inner workings of, of uh, possessions, how is Mike Conley going to help the Jazz? It's a great question. I've been asking everyone this question um, this summer on the summer interview series, trying to get the answers to everybody. Um, I actually am leaning toward the other way, Gordon. I'm leaning toward how the Jazz are going to help Mike Conley. <laughs> and what I mean by that is Mike, the last wing player that Mike Conley could play with, that played with, who could dribble and shoot and would occasionally pass, was 2011 Rudy Gay. He's been playing with Tony Allen, can't dribble, can't pass, can't shoot. Tayshawn Prince can't dribble, barely, kind of can shoot, doesn't pass. Because he just, is, that's not his job. Last year was Avery Bradley. 
along with an injured Chandler Parsons and Garrett Temple. Like, he never played with Donovan Mitchell. Now, I don't know how he's going to figure that out, and maybe he's not going to like it, frankly. Um, he never played in a system where he ever gives the ball up. Might he's not hot? Like, why would you have Mike Conley give the ball up? He, it, it's a little bit of how I feel about, like, Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum uh, on the Blazers last year when people are saying, well, they're last in the league in assists, right, because Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu can't pass. So if you give them the ball, they shoot? So you don't want to do that because they can't shoot either. Like, that's... Memphis has had nobody who can dribble, pass, or shoot playing with Mike Conley. So what's it going to be like for Mike Conley to suddenly be able to give it up, go around, get it back? Like, he never used to be able to do that. He used to have to play a two-man game with Marcus All where they did handoffs the only day because Marcus All was the only guy on the team that was could pass. So I think it's going to be incredible. Now, how does Mike Conley, I think, this is an interesting observation by a really bright basketball mind, and I had not thought of this before. Their viewpoint of Ricky Rubio is that Ricky Rubio on a given night could do one or the other. He could either be the really aggressive scorer or the distributor. There was a, you know, Quinn created a triple-double for him in Oklahoma City during the playoffs, but generally he was one or the other. Um, and if you kind of think through his time, right, and in, Spain, in the World Cup, he's great because he's just the aggressive scorer. That's all he's supposed to be on that team. They don't have other scores, so he just goes and does it. Mike Conley can switch that throughout a game. And, in fact, talking to J.B. Bickerstaff, his former coach, he said Conley's incredible because he's not only the best teammate you've ever had and one of the best character guys you've ever had, but he is going to go into every single game conscious of what his teammates need and then when it's the fourth quarter he becomes a bona fide beep beep and you know what you want in the fourth quarter is a bona fide beep beep and that's what's going to be interesting is I think Conley can get Donovan going if he's in a slump or get Joe some early shots or get Boyan a shot or get Rudy two dunks if he needs it on a given night and then when it's 92-92 my time and then that gives Donovan a break and everything else the other one is that Mike Conley last year had a great year. Sorry, I'm, I'm beginning to prep. I'm ready. Sorry, you got too much stuff going through my head. Um, and I'll have this top of my head. But Mike Conley, I did Conley last night, so this is, you, you're running into it. Um, so Mike Conley averaged 21 points a game last year, had pretty good efficiency numbers. In the final seven seconds of the shot clock last year, I think he used 23% of his possessions and shot 32%. Because nobody else on that team could handle a late possession, and he will have the freedom now of having multiple guys who can do that in a system that gives you an advantage when you have the ball. He could be great. He will be great. You want to know another one on Mike Conley? Sure. Unguarded catch and shoot. 98th percentile. Jake. Jake. Uh, yes, sir. You call your wife. <laughs> she can explain to you what the 98th percentile of things are. <laughs> she saw it on numerous report cards. You may never have seen it on a report card. <laughs> oh, nice that's burn, a fact. That nice. is, hey, that's not a burn. That's a fact, man. <laughs> David, one last question I have for you. and it's, it, I'll it's give related. you one more novel as an answer. It, it, it's related <laughs> to what you've been talking about here, I think. But Quinn, one of his gifts, in my opinion, is that he creates an environment of unselfishness. And I know a coach can't do that if the players aren't willing to come along. 
But how is how is he doing this? And when I look at the characters that will be involved on this year's team, I, I see that they will come along with it. What are your thoughts? Um, so when you say one of Quinn Snyder's gifts, the first thought I had was like, how do you find the list long enough? Um, but I am a full member of the cult of Quinn. I mean, I just think he's one of the most remarkable humans I've ever met. Um, so, you know, a side note there. Um, the, I don't have an answer for you, quite honestly, Gordon. And if you happen to listen to Locked on Jazz today, this is my number one concern of the season. And I'm not as optimistic as you are about it. I think there's a chance this goes awry. Um, this is my concern. This is if I'm worried about the Jets. So Mike Conley is the easy one. You say, yeah, it's cool. He's 32. He's on a good team for the first time. He'll give up some shots. Okay. Okay. Fine. Let's say he gives up three shots from what he took last year. He averaged 21 points a game last year. I bet he liked that. But he, so let's say he gives up three shots a game. There's three. Okay, good. Donovan want to give up shots? No. Probably. Right? Donovan is the – if I could raise a – if my 17-year-old son could be like Donovan Mitchell at 24 years old, I would be ecstatic. I think he's one of the most fabulous young men I've ever met in my life. He's just truly that great. And the other day he walked into the gym and I was reminded that he has it. He has the most incredible aura about him. He has a shoe. He has a shoe contract. He has a nation watching him. He has not been an all-star. He does not want to give up a bunch of shots. Fair? Fair. We agree? Mm-hmm. Boyan Bogdanovich, in the second half of the season last year, averaged 21 points a game, took 16 shots a game, and is this year, for the first time ever, ranked in the top 100 players of the NBA. I know it's neat to say he signed and he knew his role would be different, but I'm guessing he doesn't really want to go back to 11 shots a game after taking 16 in the second half last year. In fact, I think he wants to prove he can score 20 points a game again, and he should, and I'll bet he likes being 50th in the league in the ranked players. Okay, Jeff Green has averaged 27 minutes a game for the last three years in a row and gotten a lot, an average double figures in every single year of his career but one. Is he really ready to play 17 minutes and not average double figures for the first time in his entire career? This is a guy who, when I asked the other day, what do you want to get better at? He said everything from being a better person to all aspects of basketball. This is not someone who's settling. Rudy Gobert is yet to be an all-star. Rudy Gobert didn't get awarded for defense last year. Do you think Rudy Gobert wants to take less shots this year? Or do you think Rudy Gobert figures if he average, if I get three more shots and average 20 points a game, I make the all-star team? This is what happened to Boston last year. Now, we may have better character guys, and suppose, you know, Brad Stevens is a pretty dang good head coach, but this is exactly what happened to Boston last year. Boston had, a, in their collective group, they had 125 possessions if, on average, and there's only 100 a game. And we're high on that number right now. Emmanuel Moutier, I know he came because his agent wants him to develop the game, and I understand that he's not developed yet into this. He averaged 15 points a game last year. Is he really ready to play 12 minutes and take three shots? Because he took about a shot a minute last year. Not quite, but close. Right? He's still, he's got to get paid next year. Royce O'Neal, the ultimate team player, total stud, is developing. He's so much better. He just looks great. He's been, he's been at the gym more than any player on the entire team. He took four shots a game last year. Is he, is he good with that? That's my concern on this team. 
if I were Quinn, exactly, what, I, exactly if, what you said, Gordon, is yeah. Quinn Snyder's strength. If he can get this group to do it, it's going to be awesome. If I were Quinn and I, were, and I was facing this kind of challenge, I would I would say to my players, all of that is true, except for winning is sweet. And winning a championship or going to, going to the NBA Finals, uh, there's a few things better than that. I know guys want to get paid, but competitively speaking, that might be enticing to some of these guys. But I don't think there's anything that I just said about any of those players in which they would be doing that and thinking that they were hurting the team. And that's yeah, the trick. Yeah. If you ask Donovan why he's taking 19 shots a game, he'll tell you because he thinks he's helping the team. If you tell Rudy, Rudy Gobert, why are you so much trying to get your next two shots? Is it to make, he, because he's, well, if I dunk two more times, it helps the team. They all are good enough that they believe it'll help the team, and they all want to help the team. And these guys are so great that their answer to helping the team is making the play. Every single player on Boston last year really thought to some extent they were helping the team, and they destroyed that team. This happens all the time. This happened in Minnesota. When Minnesota added Jeff Teague and Jimmy Butler and had Andrew Wiggins and had Carl Anthony Towns and had Taj Gibson, who surprisingly uses 13 possessions a night, and everyone was so excited about that Minnesota team, I called it. I said, that's 135 possessions on average for that group. If you have 135 possessions, think about this for a second. It's not that each guy has to give up three. It's that each guy has to give up 30-plus percent. And when one guy doesn't give up his 30%, then you've got to give up 40%. David, we appreciate the conversation as always. We'll see you next Monday, man. Um, sorry. Just really ready to go. <laughs> Thanks, David. See you. There's the voice, uh, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke, with us. We've got Josh Parcell coming up next. we got to get out. Get that guy a game to call quick. Live at Wasatch from Kia 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 770 West, Riverdale Road. Come on, see us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So put your hands together and please welcome. This is Utah's best sports radio. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding you forward on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, live from Wasatch Front Kia up here on Riverdale Road, 770 West, Riverdale Road in Ogden. Drop on by and see us. Want to remind you if you want better health uh, and to feel better, check out Restore Hyper Wellness and Cryotherapy. Ask about the Zone Listener specials on cryotherapy, IV drips, hyperbolic oxygen treatment, and much more. Visit restore.com for more details we're going to talk to josh parcell coming up here momentarily in fact let's go ahead and get right to it out to the sprint special guest line we go get 100 dollars off the redesigned apple watch 4 with a new line of service visit the sprint store nearest you joining us our national college football insider he does radio for wfnz in charlotte he's also on sirius xm radio and does a little thing called the college football country podcast he's our good friend josh parcell hi josh hey guys how are y'all yeah, we're doing well. You don't have much spare time, do you? 
You know, uh, just enough time to eat and sleep. But, I mean, what else do you need this time of year, Gordon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got a good point there. <laughs> hey, Josh, uh, the Utes are going to uh, face Washington State this week coming off that disappointing loss to USC. But how about Washington State in their game last weekend with UCLA? I know that had to be at like 3 in the morning on the East Coast, but have you ever seen anything like that? Uh, no, because I was watching the inside of my eyelids. Uh, I didn't make it past, uh, I think, the second quarter of that game. Uh, man, no, that was wild, though. I mean, catching up with what happened, that that was insane. You know, you remember last year, what was it, LSU, Texas A&M go to seven overtimes. I mean, that that's the only time I can think of something like it. But, I mean, to think about UCLA coming back from uh, a 30-point deficit, to, I mean, to, to win that game, it was amazing. A much-needed win for Chip Kelly, who, who hasn't had a lot of positive things happening for him this season. Man, but uh, it's games like that that you just don't get in any other sport, these marathon games, back and forth, major comebacks. It was it was cool to see. Uh, and that, that's what makes the Pac-12 so great as well. That was Pac-12 after dark at its finest. <laughs> I have to agree with you because I watched the whole thing, and it was it was shocking. The second half, they're just sitting there going, I can't believe what I just saw. I mean, again and again and again. Uh, question for you, though. Even though the Cougars lost that game, why don't more coaches run Mike Leach's offense? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, you look at the way he's been able to produce some quarterbacks at the next level. Um, now, especially, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury is an offshoot of him and before a quarterback of his coaching in, in that system is having some success, at least, in getting to the, net, the NFL. Uh, I think you'll see more of it, though. I, I, I think, you know, I was baffled, um, you know, last year when Kingsbury got all this love and went to the NFL, and I'm thinking, you know, Kingsbury had a losing record at Texas Tech. He had a losing record with Pat Mahomes as his quarterback. He ran off Baker Mayfield. Uh, I mean, great for Kingsbury to get to the NFL, but why don't they go get the guy who, who was the architect of that system who's won a lot of games with not a lot of talent in Mike Leach? I never really understood that. So I know Mike Leach is an odd guy. He's got some quirks off the field. Some people are hesitant about you know what may you may be getting into in hiring a guy like that. But when it comes to the system itself, it is effective. Um, it is difficult on defenses. Um, it, you know when you run a lot of possessions, a lot of snaps, it, it, it forces you to have depth on defense. That's not something that Mike Leach teams have had very often. The few times they've had it, they've been very good. I mean, you think about that 2008 Texas Tech team with Michael Crabtree. That team had a pretty good defense. That's why they were a top-ten program that year. Uh, and then a few years ago when Alex Grinch was running things uh, up in Pullman, they were good as well. So I, it makes things very difficult on the defense. It puts a lot of stress on your depth on that side of the ball. But, man, it's hard to argue with the results and, and – some of the players that he's putting into the league right now and the coaches now that are seemingly having success as well. i got to compliment you on that answer, Josh. I think you hit the, hit it right on the head. Uh, so many football coaches are concerned about defense that they don't want to put their guys at risk in that way. They don't want to expose their defense that way, and so they, they, uh, they shy away from it. It's almost as though – remember. I mean, it, it seems as though with some coaches – if you are going to utilize the forward pass uh, as much as Mike Leach does, it's almost an admission of guilt somehow that, that you're not prepared for the rest of the the rest of the stuff that's necessary. Yeah, I mean, it. Listen, there's there's plenty of different ways to skin a cat in college football. A lot of teams have had success with different models. I feel like 
when I was watching Georgia play Notre Dame the other night, I felt like I was watching 2011 Alabama. I mean, it's a team that runs a lot of high formation. They'll run a couple tight ends, pro-style set, under center. That's what Alabama did for a long time and had a lot of success. Eventually, they adapted with the times as well. Um, but it is challenging. I mean, you, you only have 85 scholarship guys. Uh, when you know you're, you know, a lot of those are freshmen and sophomores, it's hard to get guys ready to play on defense. You know, I, uh, Mike Leach, of course, is in the Pac-12, but in the Big 12, a lot of teams are running the air raid or some sort of you know offshoot of it, and they're putting up a ton of points. And everybody jokes about how bad the defenses are in the Big 12. Don't get me wrong, the defenses are bad. They're, you know, poor tackling, uh, all sorts of issues. Some of that is because they're they're coming up in that system at a high school. They're not developing great defensive players in that part of the country. But the other part of it is it's hard to defend when you got wide open offenses playing so many snaps. The defenses get worn down more easily. Um, and look no further than when Oklahoma went and played Georgia in the, in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. Oklahoma put up fifty on Georgia. So I, I do feel like that system is effective. But it is hard to recruit guys to that system and have the sort of depth that you need to win 11 and 12 games and actually compete for the playoffs. Josh Parcell with us. And, Josh, you're out there in ACC country and a lot of folks around here very familiar, obviously, with Bronco Mendenhall. UVA is undefeated. They're in the top 20 in the country. They've got a big one against Notre Dame this weekend. What do you think about the job he's done there? He's done a great job. You know, last summer he had a quote that really wasn't a great look for the program when he said, we only have 27 ACC players on the team right now. Of course, last year they ended up winning, I believe, eight games and, and had a heck of a season, came within uh, a fumble in overtime of, of beating Virginia Tech and winning the Coastal. It didn't happen, but Bronco is doing a great job. I think this season um, I, I do feel like Virginia is, is getting a little bit too much credit for being marginally better than they've been while the rest of the league is significantly worse. I mean, think about Miami right now is just a mess. They nearly lose to Central Michigan. Virginia Tech hasn't really figured it out. Um, so Virginia is lucky enough that the rest of the league is kind of down right now, and it makes them look a little bit better when they've made some small improvements. But, I mean, Virginia, if the, if the referees know how to run up the clock right in the ACC – Florida State likely ties that game a couple weeks ago in Charlottesville, and, you know, we never know, might win it in overtime. And last week, Virginia spots Old Dominion 17 points in the first half before having to come back and win that one. So, I mean, I'm not exactly thoroughly impressed by the Cavaliers. I'm not taking away from the job that Bronco Mendenhall has done. I know that all of a sudden his name's emerging as maybe a Jim Harbaugh replacement, so obviously he's getting a lot of respect. But we'll learn a lot about them this week. They're fortunate, guys. They're fortunate they're playing Notre Dame after a very emotional game that the Irish played on the road last week. I think this is a letdown spot for Notre Dame. So while I just said a lot of bad things about Virginia, it wouldn't shock me at all if they catch Notre Dame in kind of a trap situation this weekend and, and give them a run, if not beat them. Josh, uh, you just mentioned Jim Harbaugh, which uh, leads me to ask you this question. Will Urban Meyer be coaching college football next year? Well, he shot down the Michigan rumors earlier today, which I found fascinating that he even had to address it. Uh, that'd be a little Rick Pitino 2.0 situation if he goes to the rival. Uh, but it, it seems like he will. I mean, we had Urban Meyer on our show here in Charlotte a couple weeks ago, and you know, he's pretty honest with us. I mean, he basically he certainly didn't shoot down the idea that he could return to college football. Uh, I don't think that Clay Helton will retain that job, even if they were to have a 10-win season. It just feels like they're, they're in need of fresh blood. I give Clay Helton a lot of credit for keeping that thing together as best he can, but 
Um, you know, if it's not USC, is it Tennessee? Is it Florida State? Uh, you know, there are. You know, there's always a job or two that come open that we don't expect. Uh, Urban Meyer's name is going to float out there, just like John Gruden's name floated out there for years as well uh, at both the NFL and college level. If it's not next year, I'll, I will be surprised if it isn't very soon after, whether that's USC or somewhere else. It feels like Urban wants to coach again. Uh, I don't think he's happy. I mean, you got to think about this, guys. This, this is a dude that five years ago, even while Saban had things rolling, people said Urban Meyer may be the, the best coach of the generation. Uh, to go from that to, to the way things unraveled at Ohio State, there's the competitive side of him that I'm sure wants to go back out and prove that he's still a great football coach. And I don't think he wants the lasting image of his career to be what happened with Zach Smith and, and what the fallout was of that in the last year at Ohio State. Josh, thank you very much as always. We'll catch you next week, man. No doubt about it. You guys have a good weekend. Thank you, Josh. Josh Parcell from SiriusXM Radio as well as WFNZ in Charlotte. And uh, check out the College Football Country podcast. I just thought of something I think you should be forced to say in, uh, in the audio. Okay. Jake Scott. Okay, this is what you have to say. College athletes should be paid. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate that so much. Okay, uh, you still, we're going to record it next. I have to pay up on my bet and do uh, incriminating audio. If you have any last-second ideas, get them in. At Jake Scott's own, at Gordon Monson, at Austin Horton. You can also hit us up on the open mic. Gordon will make the ultimate decision. If we pick a listener one, uh, that listener is going to be going to Bob Seeger on a win ticket Wednesday. Uh, if, Gordon, you, you go away from the listeners uh, and go with uh, something you come up with or something else will still reward a listener yes. with the ticket and the way we should do that is awesome what do you think just sort of just pick one just so randomly pick one of the the, the uh, listeners that uh, had an entry and uh, they'll be the winner I, I don't know about random i still think we stick with the best entrance uh, entrant oh, so even right. if we don't yeah. pick theirs sure. the best of the listeners uh, okay. submissions all right, you have about five minutes to get it in. So Twitter, the open mic, uh, however you can get into the show, and we'll uh, record it coming up next. Great. Live from Wasatch Front, Kia, 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 770 West Riverdale Road. Here in Ogden, come see us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. From CBS Sports, he joins us every week, Brian Jones. USC has a 2-0 start in the conference season. They have the tiebreaker over the Utes at this point. Is Utah still your pick to win the South? I think that's got to change. you got to see USC fall. Uh, well, they need to lose at least two now for Utah to get back in this thing. Anything can happen. I think Washington can get USC this weekend. There's no way USC should have won that ballgame. They weren't able to run the Rock until they needed to run the Rock late in the ballgame versus Utah. They got the victory. You tip your cap to them. That was a hell of a bounce back for them after what occurred versus BYU. But I think they fall to this weekend and Utah can get right back into this thing. Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go, child! Tony them. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280, The Zone. Want to remind you, the big show is going to be out the, at the warehouse this Friday, hanging out with Tom and the gang. However, Gordon, it's going to be the brand spanking new Orem location. It is finally open. We've been talking about it with Tom for a while now. 86 East University Parkway, the old Toys R Us building. Uh, come on by and see us. I drove by there. They would, uh, Look nice? Yeah, I mean, I didn't go inside, but uh, I saw the location, so it would be good. Live from Wasatch Front Kia, we'll tell you more about what they've got going on coming up uh, here in a moment. But let's let's get this over with. You want to go through <laughs> some of the suggestions and then decide? Sure. We've got to do it kind of quickly. Okay. We're, we're a little behind. David, uh, at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we went a little long with David. That's all so right. Let's uh, uh, get down to it. Austin, you want to give us a sample? All right. Danny called this one in. He would like, uh, and we've done one similar, but he would like to, uh, Jake, for you to say, my wife's pet name for me is Gordo. Oh, Hate that. Naz, uh, Naz would like it. Mark, nope. Mark tweeted this one in. I love your stories, Gordon. They're always on point and way better than mine. Nope, don't like that one either. That one, I like that one as well. Nope, not wild We're about that. A good start. Uh, ben tweeted in, Gordon speaks the truth always. <laughs> nope, don't like <laughs> How that. How can I argue with that? Nope, don't like that one bit. How about what Jesus wants to hear you say? LeBron and Peyton Manning are my favorite players of all time. <laughs> no. That's good. Absolutely too. not. These are all good. No. No. Can't stand LeBron or Peyton. <laughs> Jeff wants you to say, Gordon's almost always right. Even when he isn't, I'm still wrong. Mm. I don't, don't like admitting when I'm wrong. Uh, Spencer would like you to recreate Hans's pigman sound. <laughs> I don't think I could do that if I tried. <laughs> Try it right now. No. <laughs> okay. And then, of course, Andrew, you heard him earlier on the open mic, would like you to say that the Not Sports Report is your favorite segment on the show. All right. All right. Uh, so those are from the listeners there. Okay. I want you to. I want uh, you guys to pick the best of that bunch. But, Jake, I think I'm going to make an executive decision here and have you say... I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. What do you think, oh, Austin? That is that's actually really, really good. We're going to play that all the time. Uh-huh, that uh-huh. stinks. I'm going to open every segment with it. All right. <laughs> what do you think, Austin? It, it's good because uh, it, it really shakes his soul to have to say that. And it's not uh, it, it's not selfish on my part to have someone say, you know, Gordon, you're always right. You know, I, I don't okay, so, so say, say it for me again. I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. Okay. <clears throat> it's got to be with enthusiasm, too. It's got to be well done. And then, Austin, let's pick the best of the others uh, so they can win the uh, Bob Seger tickets. Do you have a thought on that? Because that's a tough decision, too. Uh, I think we got to go with Mark. He says that he loves your stories. They're always on point and way better than his. Okay. All right. I'm I'm fine with that. Congra- Save that one for the next time. Congratulations, Mark. Uh, enjoy the Bob Seger concert. All right. I've got it written down here. So um, I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. Yeah, but don't say it like that. What? What was wrong with that? Because that's not nearly. It sounded like you were a hostage in a video. Yeah. What was that? That was weak. I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. No. No. You're not catching the spirit here. Well, you've got to be fired up about it. This is going to be a passionate take. I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. 
Was this a really? zero res commercial? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey guys. <laughs> Jake Scott here, and I hate amateurism. Uh, all right. I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. Still too schmaltzy. Okay. <clears throat> I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. This is not the sixth grade play, man. You have to believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. You have to. Well, I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. See, a, a, a director's note here. I think it would actually come across more real if you said it kind of like begrudgingly, like, I hate amateurism. Just pay those athletes. All right. I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. Eh, that sounds a little better, right, Gordon? Yeah, he's heading in the right direction. Uh, stop this. Just let's pick one. <laughs> I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. Yeah, I, disgust, dripping with disgust. I, <clears throat> I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. That may be the winner there. Okay. That, may do, that may have done it. That's all it. All right, okay. You can't have me do 100 takes. <laughs> they all sound the same. You know, I didn't like it. Let's try another one, a no. complete new one. One, 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 one more it. time. No, it's in the bag. <laughs> all right, live at Wasatch Front, Kia, Kia, Kia. Come by and see us, 770 West Riverdale Road. It's their summer clearance event. Prices are Awesome. Up to $4,000 in custom cash on purchases or get 0% financing for up to 75 months on select 2019 models. Uh, you can take your pick on 2000 in customer cash or 0% for 66 months on a new 2020 all-wheel drive Kia Sportage LX. Or you can lease that bad boy for only $209 per month for 24 months. The summer clearance event going on now right here. Wasatch Front Kia, Kia, Kia. It's the Kia store on Riverdale Road in Ogden. You you can also go online, kia, kia, kia.com, or call pound 250 and say Kia for more details. More Big Show next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Wrapping up a big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Man, big thanks to our friends up here at Wasatch Front Kia. They've been great hosts as always, uh, and uh, we've had a bunch of listeners come by. It's been great to uh, chat with them. We, we always uh, love coming up to this part of the Wasatch Front. No doubt. About, that's my favorite part of going on remote is meeting our listeners. Getting to chat. And we don't often get a chance to, to, to stop and chat about uh, the meaning of life. <laughs> You know, what is the meaning of life, because, Gordon? Because we're, we're, we're kind of busy, but it is awfully fun just to, to get to chat with them. And love uh, hooking them up with great jazz gear. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, just a lot of fun, as always. And uh, we, as usual, Gordon, we've covered a lot today. A lot of college football, a lot of NBA. Yeah. Locke was uh, windy. Are you? Yeah, but aren't you, aren't you kind of getting excited about the season? Yes, I mean, and, this is, this and he is, is too. That's why uh, he he's fired windy. up, man. And I think our, our listeners, the fans, are getting fired up as well. Media day. You say Monday? Monday, Monday, Monday. Whoa. We're actually in the same room doing all the interviews as Locke, so we might have to tell him to pipe down once in a while. How are we going to do that? Uh, we might have to tell him to pipe down <laughs> once in a while. And how are we going to do that? And hopefully our interviews are before his, because if, if today is any, any indication, those interviews could be lengthy. <laughs> <laughs> lengthy. Uh, oh, yeah, but that's going to be fun. 
So. It is going to be fun. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, so we want to uh, thank him for coming on the show today. We want to thank Frank Dolce for coming on the show today. Thank our friend Josh Parcell as well. Uh, we get all of those interviews up at 1280thezone.com, but you can also find them on your favorite podcast catcher. In fact, you can get all of our uh, content, including each hour of the show. Just search out The Big Show iTunes, Stitcher, what what have you, and uh, download those or simply uh, subscribe to the Big Show podcast feed and all of our great stuff. Well, the incriminating audio stuff wasn't great today. But that's, uh, that's going right to your uh, podcast, right there into your phone. Indeed. It's a blessed thing. Wipe that smile off your face, sir. You ruined my day. <laughs> it was a good day, huh, Gordon? Having a good, having a good no, day until then. It was a then. terrific situation you were my friend have been the one that has been throwing the anchor overboard we'll talk to you tomorrow on the big show 97.5 take the anchor scat and 1280 the zone